Well, welcome everyone to the Tech Today podcast powered by CEO Raider. It's your host, John Mayetta. You know, we're not a, a guest-driven podcast, if you know the Tech Today podcast, but today I'm happy to have uh, two guests, Ken Bisconti and Bob Petrocchi from SSNC Intralinks. Uh, if you know SSNC, Intralinks came to the company by way of acquisition in November 2018 for $1.5 billion purchase price. I first met Intralinks back in 2007, 2008 timeframe when the company was looking toward an IPO. Uh, that was a, a couple of management iterations ago, uh, several owners ago. So Ken and Bob have been co-leading the business for, I guess, just over a year now. And so we'll get the update from them as to what they're doing in terms of the strategic focus of the company, customer value prop. Uh, we'll do an overview of the, the products, maybe drill down on some, some cool product initiatives that the guys are working on this year. And we'll, we'll take it from there. So Ken, Bob, thanks for, for joining the podcast. Thank you, John. Nice to see you. Happy to be here, John. Maybe if you could each sort of provide a, a bit, I know you have some history uh, with Interlinks beyond uh, assuming co-leads. Uh, I guess just over a year ago, and just provide a, a bit of background for the audience. Yeah, just a brief, brief background on me. Uh, my name is Ken Bisconti. I joined uh, the Interlinks team right around uh, November of uh, 2017, uh, and <clears throat> before that, I had spent a, a long career of uh, leadership positions in different software businesses. Um, some of them uh, in in the IBM portfolio, uh, companies like uh, FileNet and and um, uh, Tea Leaf Technologies and uh, some others in web analytics. And <clears throat> before that, I had also uh, spent some time with uh, Lotus Development and uh, collaboration and, and portal technologies and um, have, uh, have enjoyed, uh, enjoyed my time here. Speaking about my background is one of my favorite all-time pastimes. So I could go on for hours, but I'll spare <laughs> the audience that and just say, uh, I've been, I've been with the Interlinks family uh, now going on almost five years. Um, I started here uh, as kind of the sales leader for the North American business, um, M&A, banking securities and enterprise business, and then became global head of sales. Uh, Ken and I joined up probably about a year and a half ago to- Yeah, October, 2019, I think it was. Co-leading yeah. co the business. We had a lot of yeah. questions about what, uh, what a, a co-leader equation would look like but you know it's it's really a good complement of of skills and expertise and we we're kind of co-mingling the the duties and um it's been uh you know it's been a a challenging but but pretty rewarding uh, year and a half in, in this role for sure and looks like the um you know 2021 has started off on a positive note and hopefully we'll keep that rolling throughout the year maybe a good place to start would be around uh, where you're focusing the company. I think prior to you guys coming on into the leadership roles, there was, uh, if I remember correctly, initiatives around sort of broadening the customer base and, and making uh, the, the, the platform more of a, uh, a generalized content management collaboration tool, if you will. And maybe if we could talk about how you've uh, focused the company since, since that time. Sure, I can, I can maybe take a first crack at that and then Ken will keep me honest. Um, you know, we, we certainly have a strength in, you know, basic document collaboration. It's in our DNA. We've done it well for, for many, many years. And um, 
you know, what we've realized is probably three specific areas that we, we excel. We, we feel strongly that if we can't be in a, a part of the market where we're going to have a leadership position, then it probably doesn't make sense for us to spend a lot of our time and resources. So we've refocused the business. Um, our, our, our main business has been and, and will continue to be M&A due diligence without a question, although we have um, a pretty significant footprint in the alternative space with our GP and LP community, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of users on the LP side, and I would say above 50,000 on the GP side. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty ubiquitous platform in the alternative space. And we also have a, uh, you know, a, a pretty significant um, library of use cases in our banking and security sector that is around secure um, deal exchange and, and, um, our financial deal life cycle. So those are the three places that we've aligned business, research and development, and the sales organization. Um, Ken, I'll, I'll let you chime in on offerings and wherever else you want to go with that. Yeah, um, Bob's right. Just around 2017, actually, you know, when, when I was first involved uh, with the business, um, you know, we were working with uh, Cirrus Capital. We were owned by, you know, private equity or, you know, um, uh, it was a private equity uh, acquisition of Interlinks. And part of the investment thesis that, you know, Bob and I, you know, helped execute was refocusing the organization on the financial services use cases and the strength of the business with, as Bob said, a focus on these three core markets, M&A, alternative investments, banking and securities. And in each of those areas, We've you know started from the position of having a flagship offering like VDR Pro in the M and A space, or our fundraising fund reporting capabilities in in alts, or our debt space capabilities in in banking and securities, and and have built you know portfolios or families of offerings you know throughout each of those you know core markets. How has uh, messaging changed over the past? let's say several months a year. And I was just thinking, I think it was just yesterday afternoon, I was reading a bit more about that uh, Microsoft Exchange breach. And with respect to, to interlinks, I was wondering to what extent is uh, cybersecurity perhaps emphasized or more emphasized today than it was uh, maybe a, a year or several years ago? And, and do you get the sense from customers that there's a heightened awareness around cybersecurity on, from their end? It's a, it's a great question, you know, actually, <clears throat> you know, Interlink started 20 odd years ago with this general idea of being able to securely share information across boundaries, which feels like a table stakes capability today with Dropbox and Box and Google and things like that. But, you know, customers really rely on Interlinks having a very robust um, cybersecurity and overall security and, and information management uh, uh, and controls um, strategy, and it's and, and also the the appropriate you know um, certifications and 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 you know regulatory you know practices, and so we we you know have across the world ISO twenty seven thousand one and and SOC two security um, compliance and certifications, but you know when we think about um, security. You know, this is one of the areas where, you know, you start by having, you know, a robust, you know, uh, model, a layered just model of how you're making sure that your information, of course, is, you know, access controlled and authenticated through, you know, multiple layers. And then that you also have, 
you know, permissioning and this idea of very granular permissioning and also the ability to manage that across different boundaries is very important. Um, and of course, everything encrypted at rest, encrypted in transit, <clears throat> and you know, highly um, uh, logged and, and auditable. Um, so those are very, very important aspects and characteristics of the Interlinks brand. And one of the reasons that you know people continue to uh, uh, you know to, to rely on and, and trust Interlinks with you know some of the most secure. Uh, transactions that they're executing uh, around the world. I would I would just add to the second part of your question. Um, customers are have have always been concerned with it, but I think they're hypersensitive to it now because of increased deal volume. The fact that everyone's working from home, it's more difficult to secure laptops and you know and all, all the other um, you know ways that you can have access to data that that uh, didn't exist even just a year ago. So. Um, the, the market is sensitized to it for sure. And, you know, as we look at our um, cybersecurity uh, part of our business, it's, you know, front and center. And it's it's hard to say it's a differentiator, but but man, it's a strength of our platform for, for sure, for sure. But to, to me, it, it feels like uh, when you talk to, or when, when I talk to executives about cybersecurity, it, it's more uh, the external that threat that comes to mind that's top of mind with folks. And I, I think as, as you just said, Bob, one of the strengths of your, of your platform is uh, the provisioning and per permissioning uh, because there's equal risk of uh, internal document leakage, leakage and sensitivity in, in, in that area as well. And being able to permission, as you said, Ken, at a, at a granular level, uh, whether it's at rest and transit or, or so on and so forth, um, that's, that's that's huge. It's a huge differentiator, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's also important just in the context of our use cases to you know to watermark documents uh, as appropriate and to also have capabilities like um, information rights management, so that we can you know um, we can control access to information even if it's been downloaded out out of a out of a data room and is on a you know an offline laptop you know those are things that our customers care about having control over so with respect to IRM is that is that your IP entirely or is uh, do you embed other somebody else's IP in that solution uh, we're, we're one of the only vendors that has our own proprietary uh, technology in that space so yeah we I mean of course we leverage some of the Microsoft rights management and other capabilities on on office documents, but you know our our overall IRM technology is something that uh, that we built, and uh, we don't use a third party like uh, some other players do in this space. We call it our special sauce. Yes, you can, you yeah. can say that. <laughs> well, maybe we could walk through some of the the different product offerings with respect to the three customer cohorts that we talked to talked about up front, if, if that makes sense, just for folks that are less familiar with the, with the platform. Yeah, happy to. So, you know, we're starting in the, in the, in the M&A segment, <clears throat> our uh, deal execution, you know, family is comprised of technology starting with our core virtual data room, which is uh, VDR Pro. And that's also complemented with uh, other capabilities like um, deal marketing, uh, so we have a deal marketing solution that allows customers to, you know, manage the you know, transactional um, communication that typically happens when people are marketing deals and then managing 
teasers and SIMs and NDAs and all that, you know, kind of process in, in the pipeline of, of deal execution. Um, <clears throat> while our VDR Pro technology is used primarily for sell side due diligence, you know, we've also developed a new offering called Deal Vision uh, that helps buy side teams uh, organize their work, you know, and checklist management uh, provides, you know, AI based review assist on document documentation and other things that they're pulling together. Um, and allows those teams to be very effective. And then, you know, we also see people use our technologies through post-merger integration as well. So from sort of deal marketing all the way through deal execution, you know, sign and close, and ultimately through PMI, we cover the overall, you know, deal lifecycle in M&A. In the old space, you know, we got started with fundraising and fund reporting technologies and some of the most popular in the marketplace today. We've complemented that since joining SSNC with a new investor portal called Investor Vision. And we've also been uh, working to integrate some other SSNC uh, technologies into uh, that, uh, that mix as we build out a more integrated uh, suite for the, for the alts portfolio. And then in the banking and securities area, you know, we're well known for our um, technologies in debt capital market management for things like bond issuance, loan origination, uh, managing CMBS or NPLs, et cetera. But we've also you know, uh, developed a technology that's been called VIA, uh, VIA Elite, VIA Pro, that are used as the basis for a lot of secure information document exchange use cases that happen you know, between banks and, and other uh, third parties. And so it could be for a, you know, a regular, uh, a um, security regu regulatory compliance use case, or it could be a document collection use case for loan origination, you know, on and on. There are many use cases that we've been um, uh, automating, uh, even more recently, things like, you know, LIBOR and 17G5, you know, compliance kind of use cases. Yeah, I was, was PPP add... one of them as well? Sorry, Bob. No, that's okay. Go ahead, John. Um, and I'm going back several months just thinking about press release. I thought I saw around uh, PPP and, and loan distribution with the original stimulus that Interlinks played a role there with the banks. We played a significant role with, um, I'm not sure if we can disclose it, but one of the, the, the largest banks in the, um, in the world. And we were a um, uh, critical part of the workflow to receive um, loan applications we processed i want to say ken over half a million half, yeah, over five hundred thousand applications and helped helped uh, our, our customer have a you know very successful campaign with that so it was great our, our team really felt like it was a a rallying call that we were able to help you know a lot of businesses who were trying to stay afloat during that time so our ability to ramp up uh, an application that we had um been traditionally running about 1500 users on it up to 500,000, you know, over a long Easter weekend uh, oh, wow. to, to be able to process those loans was, was really, um, really crucial. Uh, the other point I just wanted to punctuate that Ken started to, to touch on around the product suite, which is really important, I think is we've definitely probably in the last year have seen um, our business become much more focused on specific use cases with our, our products. And Ken mentioned uh, 17G5 and operational due diligence and a few others, but even in the VDR space with 
large energy um, transactions or construction uh, diligence processes, you know, we feel like we have a, a purpose-built tool that will allow people to scale and use large data sets extremely effectively with kind of our, our internal expertise that we've developed over the years of doing a lot of these deals, but also packaging it up and making it available to our customers. And, and you know, I, I would say we've had, uh, you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of takers on these re repeat use patterns that we're able to share with our customers. It's a, you know, it's a, certainly an advantage that we feel like we bring to the market. So does that mean then on the sales side that, you know, an, an energy company versus uh, someone in the alternative space, does that mean you have you know, a, a skinny bundle that makes more sense for one vertical versus another, as opposed to going in with the, with the full suite? And yeah, we... I, I think you could, I think you could say that, you, you know, what we've done is we've recognized that with certain verticals, there's, heavier usage with, you know, different features and functionality within the yeah. platform, right? So punctuating that is number one, but we also have realized that, you know, we have a, a, a pretty highly tenured support team from a customer service support, from a, you know, a, a SAM support standpoint and a lot of industry expertise. And what we've been able to do is align the, the best people we have in managing these large complex data rooms with the functionality that we offer in the platform and providing a differentiated experience for our customers. And, and, and um, I think a skinny bundle is a good way to put it, but it's a skinny bundle wrapped with just a great amount of domain expertise. I think that would be the, you know, the, the, the significant differentiation that I think we've seen. So what does that then mean for the, the, the product roadmap? Does that mean, I mean, it sounds like you've got kind of two interesting accesses whereby you could add domain specific features and functionality uh, as you address different uh, sub verticals. And then on the, you know, if that's the vertical axis and then on the horizontal, Ken, you mentioned AI earlier, there's mm -hmm. always more you can do that's very people intensive and it's never seems to move as fast as you like it to uh, you being the proverbial you uh, with, with respect mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, ramping up machine learning and AI based efforts, given that they're so uh, people intensive. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe if you could share a little bit about sort of product roadmap and how you think about different priorities over the next year or so. Yeah, you know, as I started to say earlier, just generally at a high level, in each of our core markets, we see a requirement for a growing suite of capabilities. So if we just take the M&A space as an example, most of our success started with sell-side due diligence but we've seen more and more demand in the marketplace to not only you know, fulfill the entire deal lifecycle, you know, downstream and upstream ends of, of deal you know, sourcing and deal execution, um, but also adding to that the use of analytics and insights to make the technology and the business processes smarter. And as Bob was just saying, you know, providing vertical and horizontal specialization you know, that allows us to deliver solutions, including people, right, you know, and people expertise that allows us to, you know, serve a, a broader, you know, variety of, of use cases and do that with, with excellence and, and depth, you know, for different vertical and horizontal use cases. And we're doing the same thing in some of our other markets as well, in alts and, and banking and securities too. 
And I, I, I would add that um, you're right in that, you know, um, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics is of, of tremendous interest and obviously a hot button everywhere you go, but it's how do you apply it against what data set for what outcome that is going to be desirable to our customer base is, is kind of the key and what we, we think we have a, you know, an interesting approach and, you know, Ken and I have done a, a ton of outreach, probably the best, the best uh, hours of my day over the last, you know, probably five or six months really is collaborating with our customers, talking about the roadmap, the direction and, and getting feedback, real time feedback. And, you know, some, some themes we see are uh, consistently there and others are a little different based on the institution, but um, it's uh it's a big push, right? We're trying to innovate faster than the, the market for sure. What would be a couple of examples outside of predictive analytics, which I know is a, is a, is a big one uh, in terms of, Ken, you had mentioned insights mm-hmm. and analytics. And I was, as you're saying, I was thinking about you know, benchmarking. I'm not sure to what extent you can leverage uh, data sets across customer cohorts for, you know, anonymized data and things like this. But maybe you could provide a couple of examples of, you know, in, insights yeah. and, and analytics. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, <clears throat> one of those, you know, starts with um, just better reporting. You know, one of the most popular uses of analytics and insights for our customers is um, buyer activity insights. And so, you know, if you're, you know, uh, a banker representing a sell side, you know, opportunity, you know, often you might have three to five or more potential buyers and, you know, active in a virtual data room, as an example, and, you know, leveraging the, the you know, buy, buyer user activity, it was helpful to understand who's serious, who's just kicking the tires, like what are the ways that we can sort of move this deal along? That's a simple example. As we get, you know, deeper into it, you know, take it, examples like uh, in our deal vision product, we've used you know, machine learning and, and NLP technologies to comb through the thousands of documents that might be in a virtual data room and, you know, help a buy side team by associating those with their checklist items. So if I have a checklist item where I'm looking for a customer concentration, you know, uh, in, a, in a vertical or some particular, you know, uh, business, you know, line that I'm looking to acquire, you know, we can go f- combing through a very large VDR, however it was structured by the sellers, and find documents and recommend them to the buy side team, you know, hey, this document, this document, this document may pertain to this particular checklist item. And then they can go review it and add their own findings, et cetera. And then just maybe one other example, you were mentioning, you know, anonymized uh, uh, deals across, you know, mandates. Um, you know, we, last year, we developed a, uh, an example uh, capability we call deal success predictor. And so we actually created the ability for some of our customers to examine, you know, a deal that's active right now and say like, hey, this deal has a 77% chance of, you know, getting to, you know, a successful outcome based on, you know, the history of these, you know, other thousands of deals that we've analyzed. And here are the 12 characteristics of the deal that, you know, have the most, uh, you know, the most impact on overall deal success. Yeah, natural, kind of a natural extension to our, you know, our current insights dashboard that shows people where the activity is in the VDR, if there's anything missing. Um, it's a, you know, to, to Ken's point, it's just a natural uh, extra 
checkpoint for um, for the users to see what could potentially need need some attention or give them a little bit more sense of security that's going to be successful. I'm curious about the the, the checklist. I mean, everything that you just ticked off can sounded interesting in terms of in terms of the uh, sort of the value prop, but with respect to the checklist, one of the pieces of feedback I get from friends on the buy side uh, who many companies just haven't operationalized M and a. So the checklist to a degree provides, you know, guidance around how to, how to think about it. If you were to, you know, scale an M and a organization and and ramp up corporate development and operationalize it, that could be a tool, a, a trusted tool that would help you develop a trusted relationship with the, uh, with, with the buy side. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Bob mentioned earlier, you know, the importance of the expertise that we've developed in our client success team. And so that, that expertise often comes to bear, whether it's helping a sell side team index and structure, you know, their, their deal and provide, you know, information in a way that, you know, like, okay, you're trying to sell, you know, 500 cell towers. We've done that before with this company, this company, this company. These are some of the best practices of how you'd like to sort of organize the index for, for that. Likewise, for, you know, buy side checklists, we could also, you know, give some examples here, best in class, you know, practices of examples, you know, of best practice, you know, checklists that people have used in, in buy side tools. And, you know, you probably you know that, you know, in practice, a lot of people are doing this today in Excel spreadsheets and email. Yep. And, uh, and uh, there's some, you know, there's some advantages and familiarity to that, but there's a lot of disadvantages. It's, you know, I, I've been, you know, prior to Interlinks, I, you know, I, I was, you know, in a, in a corporate environment and I'd be on buy side teams where we had 50 or more people, you know, on a buy side team and just trying to organize, you know, our work, you know, and organize our findings you know, was not an easy thing to do. And you can imagine if you're the poor person kind of managing the buy, you know, the, the due diligence team and you're trying to get like, I just got 50 inputs today and I'm trying to put them into my Excel spreadsheet, you know, so that I can give people a daily update on how the diligence is doing. It's, it's, it's a, you know, uh, it's an <laughs> under-optimized, you know, environment. So having a, having an online checklist, you know, in a collaborative and secure environment, the buy side team can be doing this completely in their own secure area, you know, and doing so, you know, online and everything's up to date at all times, you know, has a lot of benefits. I was thinking as you were saying that, that I've spent the last 20 years trying to convince bankers that there are other alternatives other than Excel to manage data and processes. And it's, uh, it's heavy lifting sometimes, but, you know, I think the, the notion of showing and kind of scoring a deal success is pulling them there, which I think is, uh, is good. Pull versus a push, I think, is more successful. Well, Ken, Bob, I really appreciate it. This was helpful. Uh, sounds like you guys have a, a lot of interesting stuff going on, and we'll be interested in, in tracking you here as 2021 progresses and, and beyond that. So thanks again for joining the Tech Today podcast. Great. Thank you, Jonathan. Take care, guys.